Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. Know people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's the first Fenway Rundown from Fort Myers. I'm Chris Cotillo, Sean McAdam alongside, I say that every time, but literally, because we are sitting together at the kitchen table in our Airbnb on what is the official first day of Red Sox spring training. We are obviously writing on the site, doing the pod three times a week while we're here, and catching everybody up with the Red Sox insider text program we have, and Sean will now tell you how to do that. Yeah, this is a busy time of year, Chris, obviously, and a good time to join the Red Sox Insider text program. And to do that, all you need to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257, then click the link. You get a 14-day trial period, after which there's a $4.99 charge per month. It's an opportunity to exchange ideas, get your questions answered, and occasionally contribute to this very podcast when we do mailbag, mailbag episodes. And definitely mailbag episodes coming throughout spring training during the couple stints we have down here. Today, Alex Cora addresses the media for the first time in Fort Myers. Craig Breslow does the same. Alex was about 9.40 a.m., Craig Breslow 1 p.m. Both sessions went for about a half an hour. First of all, good to see WBZ's Johnny Miller in the position he should be in, uh, asking the first question at the right hand of the manager and the chief baseball officer. So always good to see Johnny down here. I think that's 53 spring trainings, which, Sean, you're a little short of. I'm a lot short of. Um, Cora, I think, was more illuminating than Breslow today, which should not come as a surprise to anybody that's heard either of them speak. But... You know, to me, the big takeaways for Cora were about his future, some of the stuff he said or didn't say. But just to start, your takeaways from Alex Cora's first media meeting down here. Yeah, I don't think anything too particularly surprising in terms of plans and how he view, uh, you know, how he plans to uh, view the roster and utilization of guys, uh, confirming what many of us had believed that. Uh, that Masataka Yoshida will get the majority of DH at-bats. He didn't go further than that, didn't say it was going to be 100 games or 125 games, but merely that he would get more at-bats than anybody else. Um, That wasn't a huge surprise to me. The big takeaway was when someone asked uh, regarding his contractual status, which, as we know, he's kind of a lame duck now. He's got one year to go. It's not going to be addressed 
before the start of the season. But given kind of a softball question about do you want to come back, and I think everyone expected him to say, of course, you know, we'll have to work out the details and that will come. Uh, he said, I don't want to talk about that right now. It was an opportunity for him to say that he enjoyed managing here and wanted to do that for a while, and yet he declined to say that. So you walk away from that wondering if Alex Cora goes into 2024 pretty confident that this is his last year here. I was surprised at his candor and the content of his answer. Yeah, and I think that we both think, you know, if we had to bet at this point that it would be his final year in a Red Sox uniform as manager. And as I've said, I've said on the pod and I've written before, I think there's a couple different ways in which that plays out. If they have a bad year, you could see Craig Breslow deciding to move on and fire him. If they have a great year, then you could see him hitting managerial free agency, getting that Craig Council deal, talking to different teams. We've already heard that there's teams interested in him and all that. So I think there's different exit strategies here. And, you know, Cora's media savvy. He knows how the business works. He pays very close attention. So maybe that whole thing where he was not going to say, yeah, I'd love to be back or I want to come back was more about a negotiating tactic. But deep down, I think it's about you know him looking and seeing the writing on the wall and thinking, you know, maybe the run is coming to an end here and this is what it's going to be. Well, I also think it's going to be instructive to see if there's any kind of split going forward with upper management and ownership versus Craig Breslow. Because I think you and I agree that Ownership absolutely loves Alex Cora. They hired him once in 2017, and as he noted today, they brought him back after he served his year of suspension, and they certainly didn't have to do that. They've stuck with him through tough times. Uh, They have finished in last place in each of the last two years, and at no point have we gotten the sense that Alex Cora's job has been in jeopardy. So I'm going to be interested to watch that dynamic because I think – Ownership would dearly love to have Alex Cora stay on past 2024 as the manager, and I'm not sure that Craig Breslow is inclined to think that way. He may want somebody with whom he has a past working relationship. He may want a different style, but it's clear that there's a lot of uncertainty on his future and who the manager is going to be going forward. And are the Red Sox willing to pay? You know, if Cora is going to get $9 million or $10 million on the open market to beat that Craig Council deal, this is a team that has not been willing to outbid other teams for free agent players. Why would it be any different when it comes to spending on a manager? I think that's a question worth asking, too, especially if Alex is going to, you know, demand four years for $40 million or five years for 50 whatever it is. Um, and I think the length of contract is also another interesting thing. He said again today, I don't see myself managing 10 more years. I don't want to be a lifelong manager. Does he want to sign that four or five-year contract to be managing until he's, you know, 53, 54? I don't know that he does. I think he's serious about wanting to spend time with his young sons as they grow up to spend more time in Puerto Rico. Um, so I, I could see that, you know, maybe try to land with a contender on a shorter term deal at a high value and, and have that be kind of his managerial swan song because he does not want to do this for, you know, years more or another 10. And, you know, again, referencing, you know, Pep Guardiola today who's talked about before only staying at a place for five or six years. He's, you know, entering year six, non-consecutive here. You know, I think the writing is really on the wall. 
He did say, though, he doesn't want the whole, you know, in a press conference that was mostly about him, that the uh, he didn't want the season and the narrative to be about him. It's about the Red Sox and trying to get them back on track. But I think this is a huge cloud that looms over them all year long. Yeah, I, I don't think that issue goes away anytime soon. They can say that they'll address it at the end of the year, but there's going to be speculation anytime a manager is fired or is rumored to be on the hot seat or if an interim is in place for a manager who gets fired, people are going to naturally connect Alex Cora to that job uh, at the end of the year. I, I think he'd be willing to work five more years because I think he's got to do that to really make some money. And I think he is motivated to cash in a little bit here. There's no question he is, uh, I don't know if envious is the right word, but he certainly took notice of Council's deal, which is five years at $8 million a piece. Um, I, I think he's got to manage that many years to really make the money he would like, but I don't see him going beyond five years. And I don't know that a team, even one that's contending and well-positioned to win anytime in the near future, is going to want to turn a, a program or a, an organization over to somebody who says, I only want to do this for three years. I think he's going to find that he needs to make a longer commitment there. Yeah, good points there. On the roster, on the lineup, on the rotation, Alex Cora didn't say much. Masataka Yoshida, as of now, will be the primary DH. Sedan Raffaello will have a chance to make the team, and if he does, be the everyday center fielder because of how good he is defensively. Von Grissom, as we expected, will have a chance, a great chance, it looks like, to be the everyday second baseman. Beyond that, not much in the way of roster moves, lineup, rotation, anything like that. Yeah, Raffaello was the takeaway for me that it, you know, if he makes the team, it'll be because, uh, as Cora hinted, that he's going to be the everyday center fielder. Uh, if they don't think he's going to play a lot, they would rather him uh, get additional development time. Everyone agrees that defensively he could play in the big leagues right now, whether that be shortstop, which they don't currently need, or center field, which they may. Uh, the question is his plate discipline, his ability to get on base and use that speed. Uh, defensively, he's ready to go right now, and I think they're going to be watching him closely in the spring to see exactly uh, what he can do offensively and whether he's ready to make that jump. The takeaway for me from Craig Breslow and it is the takeaway every time we meet with Craig Breslow, is how many words he can say without saying anything. That's not a knock. He's a smart guy. I think he's a capable chief baseball officer. But he is not one to deliver news, and he didn't today. I mean, it was 30 minutes of good questions, tough questions, and I'm not just saying that because we asked some of them, but about the roster, about the lineup, about different things that could come together. And it was really almost nothing came out of it. Um, and I think that he's just kind of taken the strategy, as many in his position do. Heim Bloom did very early on in his tenure. I'm going to say nothing and just get through it and, you know, not try to tip our hand any, any which way, you know, which uh, when you're trying to write about the team is tough. When you're trying as a fan to figure out what they're going to do is tough. He did say the roster is not a finished product. I think, you know, based on what we've heard and what we believe about the budget and about their level of aggressiveness, hint, it's very low. It does not seem like, you know, they are, you know, in on the biggest guys out there. You asked them point blank about Montgomery and Snell, gave kind of a non-answer there, shockingly. Um, so we didn't learn a ton from Craig Breslow today. I'd say takeaway was whether it's you know just keeping the door open negotiation wise or if he really means it saying the roster is not necessarily a finished product which I guess you know what else could he say at this point 
Yeah, he's leaving the door open, but I don't think either you or I or really anybody who covers the team thinks that this is going to lead to Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell falling into their lap because their demands have been scaled back or will be scared, scaled back in the coming weeks. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to get to a point where they are players for uh, – pitchers who are going to demand multi-year commitments at better than $20 million a year. I don't. And Snell with a qualifying offer too, which is another thing that takes away from their long-term vision. Right. That's certainly a disincentive and we've never really connected them to Snell at all. Montgomery is a little less, um, uh, I don't want to say radioactive, but a, a guy that you would think they might consider. There's no compensation. There's the obvious tie to the city of Boston with his wife, serving a medical residency in the city for the next couple of years. It seems like it would make a lot of sense, and yet I just don't see those numbers matching up with what the Red Sox are going to do. I said to you the other day, I'd frankly be pretty surprised if they added anyone on a major league deal. I could certainly see them adding additional guys like Lucas Lutke, who they added the other day as a lefty reliever. Uh, They may do more of those NRI, non-roster invitee, minor league deals. I just don't see him committing to any sort of significant major league free agent before the season. And reporting today, uh, as I tweeted, the Red Sox are, according to one industry source who's talked to them, still interested in signing an outfielder. You know, there are some of those guys that you think you might be able to get for cheap. Jorge Soler, Jorge Soler came off the board today, going to the Giants three years for $42 million. A source said the Red Sox were not meaningfully involved on him at the end, which, you know, you can laugh and we can do the interest Kings thing and say another guy they were in on, they fell short and they weren't really in on whatever. I think you and I both agree he didn't fit this roster particularly well, especially if they want Yoshida to be the DH. That's a lot of defensive liability. Would the Red Sox be a better team with Jorge Soler than without him? Sure, but if they're not looking to contend this year, if they want to focus on defense, if they want to mix and match the outfield, then he never really made a ton of sense. I think the guys they're looking at, I've said Adam Duvall's name for now four months. I think he fits, makes sense. Tommy Pham, another old friend, though for a short while, is still out there. Randall Gritchuk, some of these type of like veteran right-handed bats who could maybe give you a little bit more pop. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, obviously, they're counting on right now. So, yes, we're hearing they're still trying to sign an outfielder. That being said, uh, all those kind of bigger names are picked off the board. They're not going to be going after Cody Bellinger. So um, it remains to be seen what they'll do there. Yeah, I, I think you have to limit your scope here and start thinking in the area of essentially a right-handed swinging platoon candidate. Uh, that's kind of what Adam Duvall would be here. You wouldn't see him necessarily playing against a lot of right-handers, but somebody that could fill in in the corner outfield spots, maybe contribute at first base. Tommy Pham, though he doesn't have any first base experience, would be another righty bat that could play against some lefties and balance out the lineup. But again, uh, these are not needle movers. Um, If you were to add them between now and opening day, and they're not going to be committing a lot of money, even if they do get involved in signing one of them. Rotation-wise, to me, I know Lorenzen, Clevenger, Syndergaard uh, is kind of in a different category, but there are some guys that probably be had on cheaper deals beyond Montgomery or Snell. I think those guys still fit this team. 
you seem to think that they'd not even be willing to pay for a Clevenger or a Lorenzen. I think on a one-year deal, those make sense because, you know, as Alex Spear wrote in the Boston Globe the other day, if you sign a guy to a one-year deal like they have with Giolito or, you know, they got O'Neill as a one-year rental, if you're bad at the deadline, you can flip that guy for prospects and that helps the long-term view as well. Kenley Jansen in that boat now. Um, and today, one more point we'll make on the media availabilities today both Cora and Breslow you know not copping to the fact that Kenley Jansen is a trade candidate but I think we're all under the impression that you know there is a legitimate chance he could get moved and that's not changing just because camp opened yeah and in fact Breslow chose his words very carefully when asked about whether there needed to be kind of a reach out to Jansen and repair any sort of hard feelings that may have come about from his name popping up in rumors but Breslow was careful to phrase it this way he's our closer as of right now that does not suggest that this is a team that is hanging up when teams call on uh on Kenley Jansen I know there was kind of a storyline out there that well once pitchers and catchers report that'll be the end of that I I don't agree with that there are trades that get made in spring training all the time uh it may be that Some teams want to watch Jansen throw either on a backfield or in a game situation before committing to a deal. It may be, as I've heard, that the Red Sox want to get to a point where they are not having to take any money back on Jansen and can still get decent return in terms of a prospect or whatever they might get in value. I I, I don't think that a a Kenley Jansen trade is off the table at all. And I, I think that even more, given how careful... Breslow was to underline the phrase as of right now. To me, you don't say that if you think that the trade stuff is gone and done. Yep, totally agreed. And I do think there's more than one trade candidate left on the Red Sox roster. Moving from the bullpen makes sense. If they want to add to the rotation, add that right-handed bat. We've talked about that over and over and over. And again, you know, it's tough to do a podcast with a team that makes zero moves. You know, Theo Epstein and the Netflix series have kind of carried the day for us for a month. The Red Sox have not added a legitimate major leaguer with all due respect to the waiver claims they've made in 2024. All those moves were made in December. The Verdugo trade, the O'Neill trade, sale for Grissom, Giolito. I mean, it's been almost six weeks now, which is crazy. And that brings me, I guess, the final point for this episode on Tuesday. You've covered a lot of spring trainings. You tweeted yesterday, year 36 on the beat for me, year seven, spring training number six. Lack of star power is one thing that's been well, well covered, but lack of storylines, lack of news, lack of interesting things to talk about, I think is a real thing. It's like we want to talk to Kenley Jansen about the trade rumors, but is there any other real compelling story on this team? First of all, good luck to Netflix. And I was joking with the camera guys, not for Netflix today, but the guys, some of the local guys who are down here, you know, you remember, especially I'll, I'm not going to drop a back in the day on you, but you know, 20 years ago, the arrivals at Camp Ortiz, Pedro, these big-time guys coming in, it was an event when they showed up and walked through the parking lot. It was an event in 2018 when Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts in 2019, Bogarts, Martinez, Betts, some of these big guys coming through. And now, not only a lack of star power, but just the complete lack of, you know, storylines around this team. That doesn't mean not to read the coverage on Mass Live, listen to, listen to this podcast, or premature tease do the Fenway Insider, Fenway Rundown Insider text program. But just looking at it compared to, you know, what it was a few years ago or 20 years ago, it's a wasteland in terms of interest. 
Yeah, and that's reflected. And we know also that while it's snowing back home in New England today, um, this is not vacation week. That's next week uh, in Massachusetts, at least. And that used to result in an influx of fans coming down to spring training, wanting to watch batting practice, walk around the facility, try to get some autographs. Uh, There were times that there were so many people here that the Red Sox had to hire charter buses for um, for remote parking lots and ship people down the street because they couldn't handle the mass of people who wanted to be around the Red Sox in spring training. In recent years, we've seen that fall off, not surprisingly, after three last place finishes in the last four. Interest is down, star power is down, and traffic is down. Not our traffic, but just people showing up and uh, and taking an interest in spring training. Um, it, it, it is, I'd be hard pressed to think of another year where there was less anticipation about the start of a Red Sox season than there is right now. A great teaser to keep reading and listening to our coverage will be here for the first two weeks. And then Sean and Chris Smith will be coming back in March. Uh, We'll be having coverage, obviously, on the site all week long. A couple more podcasts this week as we finally talk to some players, including, as I mentioned, Kenley Jansen and some others who might make some news in the coming days. Sean, what's the best way for fans to get up to the second uh, updates and just kind of take us through, actually, how the Insider Text program works on a day like today? Yeah, well, we've actually answered a lot of questions this morning. We put, uh, we invited people to uh, suggest some questions for Alex Cora and Craig Breslow's media availability today, and many of those topics got covered. Uh, people want to know what the atmosphere is like, what we hear in terms of free agents still available, and it's a great opportunity to ask us questions. To me, to Chris Cotillo, to Chris Smith. Uh, to make some trade proposals, to provide some fodder and questions for a mailbag episode coming uh, soon. So uh, the way to do that is to text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257, then click the link to subscribe. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.